Welcome to Death by Footnote. This is the historical fiction show where every month we tackle a historical fiction prompt and each of us come with some short stories to uh, run the gauntlet, if you will, among these two. I'm Kenny. We got Jerem and John here. Uh, and yeah, this month's prompt was... Uh, it was spooky stuff. Sp- spooky, spooky. <laughs> well, 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 okay. The genre of spooky. spooky stuff. Uh, yeah, we went with spooky as, uh, let's call it the literary challenge this month, and, and the historical challenge was inventions of the Industrial Revolution. Right, the second Industrial Revolution. Yeah, Jerem was quick to point out the first or the second, and John and I <laughs> yeah, were I like, like, oh, great. Because I'm just that insufferable. <laughs> we're in trouble. Like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so... I mean, not that the Industrial Revolution wasn't already spooky enough. Oh, it right? was spooky. We're like infusing it with even more eerie things. Oh, it's spooky, yeah. So we'll read uh, we'll read a story each episode, and then we'll break it down. We'll see how the literary elements went. We'll see how we use the history. I have uh, been volunteered. I was going to say I volunteered. <laughs> I've been volunteered to go first and crack this thing open. Uh uh, the name of my story, guys, is A Light Made of Glass. Oh, what? Oh, okay. So I hope you guys are ready. Like the that. town was no stranger to hauntings. Oh, my gosh. Well, <laughs> don't need to run. We're trying oh, to get... Oh, okay. yeah, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> Marley was dead to begin <laughs> with. <laughs> whoa, whoa. Spooky. How, how dead? That is a, a doornail, Exactly. <clears throat> the town was no stranger to hauntings. After all, whatever folk claimed Burnside as their current home knew, deep in their bones, that they walked atop the dead of ages long past. And though historians were quick to point out the remains of nearby Roman roads, or the clergy quick to mention the aged legacy of the local cathedral's artifacts, it was the hauntings that persuaded. Huh, said the sturdy man, Fred his name his arms and shoulders strong from hard labor all his days, weighed down the rest of his torso. He descended the ladder, each step groaning beneath his girth. That explains it, then. What explains what? asked Cora. She glanced up at the naked lamp on the wall. It's a simple fix, he replied. Your mantle is ruined. Are you certain? It looked fine to me. Fred nodded as he collected a glass globe from the handsome writing desk sitting against the wall. Not always easy to tell when they're damaged, I'm afraid. Replace it, though, and the light should work just fine. You don't have any spares with you? Fred shrugged his shoulders. Not me, nor any oil shop in Burnside at present. Cora bit her lip as she glanced out the window. The sun was already going down, and her heart accelerated. There are no more replacement mantles in the whole town, she asked. Fred climbed back up the ladder and placed the globe back on the lamp gently, taking care to fasten it correctly. It was a simple gesture to say that there was no hope of repairing it tonight. I doubt there's any from here to the other side of Kendall. Everyone's bought them up in a fright, he replied. What with a killer running about? Cora squeezed her eyes tight. He didn't need to remind her about the killer. She was there, but she still couldn't explain it. Don't you have any replacements at home, then? Perhaps I could borrow one, she suggested with a wring of her hands. Fred paused in thought before rubbing the back of his neck. 
I'm sorry, Cora, but my wife would have my head if she found out I'd given you a mantle. Between you and me, she's not happy I'm here at all. Cora knit her eyebrows and tried not to ball her fists. Because of my reputation, she asked bitterly. Fred descended the ladder in an instant. Now, now. You know, I don't care about any of that. It's not my business anyway. It's no trouble coming by to take a look at the lamps. But if it's all the same, I'd be happy not to disturb my marriage over it. It's not all the same, she replied. A night without lamps and with the moon like a saucer, it was most definitely not all the same. It's just one night. Tomorrow you can go about asking or catch a carriage to Kendall or even to Windermere. I'm sure there's a mantle to be found somewhere. But one night could make all the difference. The scream of Lucy Townsend pricked the very back of Cora's mind as though slowly someone inserted a long needle through her skull. Darkness for an entire night, she asked quietly. Don't you have any candles? Just lock the doors and settle yourself in. You'll see. You have a sturdy lock. Installed it myself, didn't I? Locked doors won't help me, she muttered, mostly to herself. Fred tried to hide his cynical smile as he put away his tools, but couldn't bring himself to say more. She knew that though Fred pretended such things were fantasy, he believed. They all believed. How could one disbelieve around these parts? Fred had lived there a long time. He knew what happened when the moon waxed full and the night was bright enough for the dead to see clearly. Everyone knew a thing or two about full moon mischief, but Fred... He'd lived there long enough to know what happened on nights when the moon waned dark and the dead could not be seen. Nights like this. The needle pierced deeper, and to stifle a scream, to smother the quivering shakes running down her spine, she begged. Please, might I stay the night? I will speak with your wife. She will understand. I could sleep in the shop if I must, anywhere but here in the dark, alone. Again, Fred paused, hesitance and discomfort draping over his large shoulders. I can't, Cora. I'm sorry you chose to involve yourself with him. I can't save you from the gossip. He had the nerve to clasp her shoulder and bestow a pitying glance before leaving her alone. But she was not alone. Lucy's memory plagued her. Not a ghost, heavens be thanked for that. A ghost moves on its own accord, does what it wants. A memory is nothing but the distorted illusion kept by the living. Memories torment, the dead haunt, and worse. She crossed to the kitchen to retrieve the keys to her front door. Cora's flat was not spacious, though it was comfortable. It was elegant within, but modest enough not to invite scrutiny. He had made sure of that, and that should have woken her to the truth. She was the secret. He kept her in the dark. Their affection could never be revealed, even if he had no children, even if he claimed his wife cared nothing for him. She had met him in an oil shop. She sought matches and a new candle holder, for she could not afford the gas lamps then. But he busied himself discussing the quality of a strange set of tubes and a collection of glass bulbs. She was just dumb enough to speak aloud. Can't imagine what that's for. Her words drew his attention, but her beauty, hidden under the dark of her inferior class, caught his notice. What chance did she have against a man so curious, so wealthy, so eccentric? As they met, he intoxicated her through his disregard for the rules of society. She dared to believe that she might adopt a similar philosophy. And so she accepted his gifts, his doting, his time, and his stain, naive enough to believe such things could stay hidden. Cora struggled to lock the door in her flat. Her hands shook and the key rattled around the lock before finally clicking in. The sound mocked her. Why lock the door when she knew it would do nothing? 
It was an idle task, something to keep her attention busy. The windows where she lived were larger than other flats, a luxury he had paid for. When the executor had come by weeks before, she had been embarrassed by the relief that swelled in her breast when he said the flat was paid for. It was such an improvement from where she once called home. But now the windows offered the perfect view out toward the setting sun. She'd been in the habit of keeping the blinds shut, of hiding from the world out there. But tonight, when unconsciously she gripped the blinds to close them, she stopped. She would need every ounce of light. She would need to milk the light as long as possible. If only there were a way to catch and store the sun's final rays and store them as they lit up the flat through the kitchen. There on the table sat the box, her lover's final gift. Inside lay only three things, a note, a glass bulb, and a ring fitted with jet and carved with two sets of initials, C.D. and A.H., Cora Dixon, Archibald Harper. She had never worn it. The note rang hollow in light of his deception. He had waxed on about how she was a light in his dark world. Only she understood him. Only she appreciated his mind, which was always bent toward his work. But if his wife cared for him so little, why did she take his life? The wind whistled outside, the night inviting mischief. Soon the dark would smother everything. It had been one month since the last new moon. One month since Lucy... Two months since Archibald's death, the guilt compounded daily. Lord Harper's wife had left Cora something behind as well, but such a bestowal would fit in no box, and few would call it a gift. Cora could not keep the blinds open now. The sun had vanished, and the window welcomed whatever lived in the dark to see in. She pulled the curtains closed and stumbled back to her chair. She gripped the ring in one hand. She held the bulb in the other and braced herself. At first, one might easily mistake the sounds for the creaking of a house as it stood up to the breeze or cooled from sitting under the warm sun all day long. There were subtle moans in the wood, innocuous groans that accompanied her all day long, hidden away for its normalcy. It was likely that she fabricated their crescendo, imagined the crooked orchestral movements of their growth. Soon the house sighed and creaked, crackled and cracked as though she listened to a ship bobbing on the sea. Please, please no, she whispered, but the darkness intensified, and closing her eyes did very little to keep it out. It was an awful time to host Lucy's memory. You killed me, whispered the memory in the dark. The sound was like ripping paper slowly in two. I didn't. How could I know? Cora replied. Everyone knows, Lucy said. He was not for you. If his marriage didn't tell you, his station should have. He told me he loved me, Cora said. And you said it back, but you didn't. You never did. Lucy's words wriggled through Cora's ribcage to burrow like a parasite in her heart. Stop, please stop. The latches on the window rattled. The sound wounded the silence, slashed a gaping hole into the quiet. It was impossible to deny, would not be ignored. You should have known it would change her, Lucy continued. Drive her mad, and you entrusted me with your secret, me who lived with them in the house. He told me you would be discreet. Cora's face was quite close to the table now. She wanted to cling to it, hook into the wood with her fingernails. I needed a friend. 
What did I need? Lucy's voice faded in and out, surrendering to the frequency of the breeze out the window. You should have known what she'd do to me, what she will do to... Stop! Cora shouted. She plugged her ears with her fingers, desperate to block out the creaks of the wood, the rattling latches, but Lucy's voice seeped through. You cannot hide from this. The front door shook. Something strong and powerful tried to get inside, had grasped the handle and attempted to yank it from its hinges. Then a scratching on the window glass, a raking, splitting shriek that rattled through her teeth. It had not been this bad in a month, not since the night she came for Lucy. Cora could not block out her memory now. She could only run, sprint through consciousness. Down one avenue, she saw Lucy shaking with fear. Turn, sprint away down a corridor, only to find Lucy shaking with more. Turn, run, find Lucy begging her for help. Turn, but she could only run so far into her mind. How had Lucy died? Cora didn't know. She had shut her eyes. A terrible rushing wail flooded the streets of her memory, replacing remembrance with something more foul, more current, fresh fear, fresh enough to be sold at the market. It came spilling in, ignoring the door now, ignoring the windows. Her plates shook in the cupboard. The bench near the door shifted. A wailing whistle wound through the dark, closing in on her, a circle ever diminishing, a tide unstoppable. Of all the nights for the gas mantle to go out, the light had kept it at bay for the late Lady Harper hated the light, hated the passion her husband had given to his research instead of her. The bulb in her hand was the true mistress, but Lady Harper could not haunt a bulb. The whale closed in, an invisible ring of fog in the dark. At the last, Cora found anger. She had not asked for this. She had never been married. If she would be made to pay for his affection, the only bright spot in her dreary life, she might as well lean into it. She slipped the jet ring around her finger. If the phantom was going to take her, let it at least be denied her regret. But as she slipped the ring on her finger, something happened. The bulb in her hand lit up. It was brilliant. It shone with the light of many gas lamps, multiplied. It didn't chase out the dark, it vanquished it altogether. Her flat was empty, save for her, the light, the ring, and the note. A breakthrough. Some fruit of Lord Harper's research then. At long last, after all his hours toiling in his workshop, she looked more closely at the note, held the light up to it, and upon its nearing, new words formed on the paper in brown. It read, my darling, I've done it. A new filament, brighter, more beautiful than any before. It is my gift to you, Cora. Please believe me that when the bulb finally lit up how I prayed it might, it illuminated your face in my mind. Unfortunately, I suppose she recognized as much. Doubly defied, she's gone mad, raving fits, violent torrents. I don't know what the night holds, if her threats hold weight, but whether I end in the grave or the prison... Or if this page is superfluous, wisdom dictates I put these words to paper. If nothing else, the accompanying bulb is the prototype. There are more in my workshop, along with instructions on how to illuminate them. Where the eye protection on the desk, change the world as you see fit. She approaches. 
The bulb flickered as Cora finished reading the note. She stared at its ghostly illumination. For endless hours, he'd gone on about his experimentations. But how did the bulb burn now, resting unconnected to any apparatus in the palm of her hand? With filament still burning, she braved opening the window dressings and looked outside, off to the hill on which his estate rested. The light flickered again. There was no telling how long the miracle filament would burn for her. And if it was the light that kept the otherworldly spirits away, she had few options. Risk it lasting or venture to the workshop. As if in response to her doubts, another bulb lit up down the street with the same violet hue, just as the one in her hand died away. The workshop called her, and only madness waited here in the dark. She fiddled with the key in her lock and threw the door open, bounding into the dark streets. The meager light offered by the occasional gas lamps suspended on their light poles did little to stem her nerves. They were insufficient. They were a child's attempt to fight the dark. The night swelled and moved around her, whispering, seething on her heels. Only the bulb willed her on. She beat the tide of shadow to it. The violet light was fixed atop one of the light poles, stuck on the crown of the gas lamp lit below it. She nearly embraced the pole for the comfort it brought her. She might sleep under that light pole, or at the very least sit there until morning. But just as her heart slowed, a terrible wind swept through the streets with fury. The gas lamps on their perches flickered, sputtered, and went out. Still the bulb above her shone bright. It emboldened Cora, filled her with giddy arrogance. Even in death, I'm still under his protection, she cried out into the darkness. Another gust bounded forward, ricocheting off the cobbles and toppling the bulb from the light pole. Her breath stuck in her throat as a thistle spine when the glass shattered. But ahead on the edge of town, another bulb turned on. She ran, heedless now of propriety or circumstance. She sprinted, breathless and fearful, to the next bulb. And when she reached it, it too toppled and broke on the stone. In the distance, another. She repeated this pattern out of the town to poles she had never seen before, bulbs in strange places, atop signposts, amidst a copse of trees, in the middle of a field, until finally on the gates near his house. The shadows chased her all the way, satisfied with her pace, never overcoming, delighting in the dissolution of her physical stamina. By the time she overcame the gate, she had stopped heeding the bulbs. They were but directions to the workshop. She knew it would be unlocked, and even in the dark she had secretly stolen away to this workshop so many times that it was burned into the memory of her muscles. The large oak door sat in a converted servant's quarters, removed from the main house. She pushed it open and descended a flight of stone stairs, groping the wall at the bottom to sense the switch. At last she found it, and with a click they all turned on. A kaleidoscope of varying hues of light, a menagerie of energy housed in glass cages as fragile as a whisper. She had never liked how they buzzed, never felt truly comfortable in so much light. His voice lived in the stone walls like a piecemeal quilt of explanations. How the electricity traveled through the filaments. How one tube that seemed to house a lightning bolt was truly gas with a current suspended. Beside her, a row of large bulbs, each shining differently one from another, each with a core made of something unique, all connected to an electrical force controlled with a dial at the end of the line. 
It was on a table beside the dial that she found one oblong bulb sitting atop a sealed envelope and a pair of darkened goggles. She pulled its contents open, safe in his words, nearly hysterical to be so exposed in the night for the first time. His penmanship ran like a madman's. Chemical equations, symbols Cora did not understand, and half-finished ideas covered nearly every corner of the page. Any hope of using the information perished on reading it. Another inventor might understand the notes, someone obsessed with electricity as he had been, but not Cora. She sunk onto a stool near the dial, and the guilt she'd staved off since his demise found a way to race into her heart. Did he think she would understand the note? Had he explained and she not kept attention? Was she interested in him or the idea he represented for her? In the morning she would leave, sail to America, even to Edison's headquarters if must be, to escape this place. Edison's men would know how to put it to use. They'd pay her. She would collect the reward she had so secretly desired at last. It was not wrong to hope for a more comfortable life. Then a tube across the room burst and made her scream. Its gas seeped out into the room's atmosphere and the bolt of light vanished. That was right. The problem with many of these electric lights was one of longevity and fragility. How long would the others? Another tube shattered, raining glass on the floor. And from the stone stairwell, the dark inched closer. (laughs) One by one, the lights went out, not in linear sequence, but in a staggered random order. And though each breaking charged her fear, their sequence reminded her of how it had happened when the news of their romance came out. The neighbors and friends went out one by one, not in linear order, but randomly, violently bursting. She rose and tore a bulb from its fixing, carefully examined the new oblong hope she he'd left her, and fixed it the best she could. It shone brightly, more brightly than any bulb she'd yet seen. The others kept shattering, but she turned the dial, increasing the current, and the bulb beside her compensated for their lack. The darkness edged in, furious at the periphery of her sight, growing in intensity, hissing, spitting, gnashing its ferocious teeth. The dark would not be denied, and she put on the goggles before turning the dial as high as its settings would allow. Tomorrow, Edison. Tomorrow, another day. Tomorrow, freedom from the monsters in the dark. But his love shattered, and the sun never rose. Oh my gosh! (laughs) What? Did she die? She did. Oh my gosh! (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh wow. Dude, when she's like down there in the lab and all the lights are exploding and (laughs) the darkness is creeping in. It's like, no! Wow, that that was good. That was intense. Very so nice. When you say it's it's a violet light, is it was it literally like purple? Is that it's like a so or is it like a blue? Yeah, we're getting to the history already. So yeah. When I'm trying to pick Yeah. It uh when Edison came up with the light well so yes, light bulb was the invention I chose, clearly. Right. <laughs> what? That was the industrial oh, revolution. <laughs> it was the light bulb. What uh, I found fascinating, Edison was not the person to invent the light bulb. Right. In fact, electric lights have been experimented with for a long time. What Edison did was find the carbon filament that worked in a way that was energy efficient and shone really brightly for a long time. Right, burn out or break. Right, not necessarily the filament that shines brightest. 
you know, so there was people... The happy medium is what... Mm. Yeah, it's like efficient. Yeah. It's efficient. It's cheap. It you know, carbon was super cheap. Um, yeah, sure. you could. So anyway, uh, so what I found interesting was all of the other experimentations of electric lights produced different, slightly different effects. You know, and so different types of filament had like different tinges to them. Yeah, and the hmm. uh, the glass tubes, which was a popular, almost like a Tesla esque way they tried to do lights. Yeah. There were tubes full of glass and they shot a current through it. And it was just like one continuous, like, you know, the, like the, uh, the wave. Yeah. Like thing? a little wave like thing. Wave kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. So anyway, that's so, fascinating. So yeah. that was kind of the nexus. I'm like, how cool would it be to have like yeah. an underground lab of all these different yeah, types like visually, of light that would be super impressive where it like, it's all different colors, all different shapes. And they're all, all lit at first. And then they start going out like, yeah. Will be impressive back then. Now it'd probably be like a cheap looking Vegas. <laughs> be like, who hung up all the Christmas lights? What do we want? Oh, yeah. Colored lights. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Scroll back to the very beginning. There was a line that. Uh, You're gonna make me find specific no, lines. No, no, it was very beginning. It was like, huh? Line. Are you calling? Okay. Just read that uh, line again. Wait, which, <laughs> I don't know what line you're talking about. He said... Who was oh, there talking? It there it is. Huh. Oh, that's yeah. the line you're huh? talking about? Huh. Said the sturdy man. Huh, <laughs> said the sturdy man. <laughs> I think that's going to stick in my head for, <laughs> yeah, for me. I think, it was the, I think it was the groaning ladder. Uh, oh. Isn't there a ladder in there that groans? Yeah. I think also every time, for the sturdy man. I'm just like... Yeah. The, Every time I say huh now, huh, then huh. in my head I will say, said the sturdy man. Said the sturdy man. I'm going to have to put that in all my future stories yeah, now. Said, said the, the sturdy, sturdy man. man. <laughs> we already have a recurring that's, bit. That's what Episode I one. Known as, good. he was yeah. a sturdy man. <laughs> He's sturdy. Sturdy. A handsome sturdy In more than one way. <laughs> so reliable. I miss him. He was so he was so sturdy. <laughs> so what was it that drew you to Fred to begin with when you first met him? <laughs> he was just so sturdy. So sturdy. So sturdy. I tried to see if I could sleep over at his place. He was like, no. My wife would be mad. That's sturdy <laughs> That's material. Sturdy. sturdy right there. Yeah. Oh my is, goodness. Is stirred the root word of sturdy? I've never heard the term stirred before. Stirred. Uh, I, it's like bravery. Well, not in this context, but I guess if we're like stirring a pot yes, or something. But but oh, that kind of stirred. Stirred, yeah, but just a stirred. You, know, you gotta have be, stirred. Yeah, so if you're sturdy, then you're like a stirred. Yes. I'm gonna make you a t-shirt that just says There's just something full about of stir. that's so sturdy, you know? Full, full of stirred. stirred. Yeah. Oh. Most mm. people will get it. It, it yeah. sounds exactly. like a really cool building material, yeah. really. Like, yeah. You know, it's like, this floor is all stirred. The house built of stirred. <laughs> yes, it was like the three little pigs originally. <laughs> there was the fourth pig the that fourth had the stirred house. <laughs> That's gross. And no one saw him. No one saw him. <laughs> oh, the, the wolf didn't even dare go near the sturdy house. It's a sturdy guy. Yes. Yeah. Nice. So I like the I like the spooky English village in the spooky. Lake District kind of setting. That so nice. I looked up photos of uh, of Burnside. You guys. It is like, you know that scenes like at the end of uh, the Pride and Prejudice with like Kira Knightley and stuff mm -hmm. and it's just like foggy, beautiful rolling yeah. hills. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is Burnside. It's right. like oh, 
picturesque lake district. Full of hot men walking around in tight breeches. I, I was confused by that in the photos. I'm like, does every photo need some hot guy in period costume? It's law there. It's part of the Burnside package. Yeah, right. Burnside. Yeah. Land um, of the city. Yeah, that, that was a good good pick for setting. Yeah. And that's also like the perfect place to put like spooky spookiness because yeah. out in, for whatever reason, when you get outside of the metropolitan areas of England, apparently people lose their minds and you like start <laughs> locking your old wife in your attic and yeah. uh, brooding yeah. as you stare out across the moors and all that stuff. So. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Cumbria is like known as like a... Uh, I mean, it's like they've had inhabitants since like 2000 BC or something there. Oh, wow. And so, yeah, there's like Roman road, mm-hmm. like remains. And yeah. and, and it makes like, sense yeah. because the social hub, especially for the wealthy upper class elites like Edward Fairfax Rochester, right? um, Jane Eyre, right, mm-hmm. um, is in London. And um, when you stray outside of that, you're, you are um, creating physical distance between yourself and this social hub. So it's a physical distance, but it's also the social distance, right? We're outside of all the gossip circles. We're outside of all the social networks that are mm-hmm. happening. Um, and so this is perfect for rumor mongering among the elites. You know, why did he choose to distance himself from our community, right? What's going on in his head? Um, and we also haven't seen or heard from him. Right? He's just out there in the wilderness. And that's pretty interesting, right? That's just that it's perfect fodder for um, eerie rumors to start yeah. circulating about you, right? When um, I like... I like the sequence where the sequence where she's running to the workshop and she's just in a pool of light. It's like no matter where she runs, like the scandal is always with her. That's that's nice. Steve, John, yeah, dogging her stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I was picturing the darkness. Maybe this was just me, but I was picturing the darkness being embodied, like as as a woman, mm-hmm. like as Ooh. the um, the dead wife of. Oh, the, that's creepy as all get out. As man. the dead wife of the man. So yeah, I was picturing like that's, this desiccated, like oh. Victorian esque sort like of. She corpse. keeps looking back, and in the shadows is just like. Yeah. Oh, that's and creepy. And like leering at her, right? And so when we were in the <laughs> laboratory, I for some reason my mind was just oh. picturing the woman like hunched in the entrance of the laboratory, like in the shadows. Right? Oh, it's right. too dark in getting... this basement to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, every time I'm like, you know, the light, spot. she's just outside the light. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, as the lights start going out, she's slowly she's coming there. closer, she's right? There. Yeah. And she knows that the lights are going to go out. So she's just biding her time. Right. And my biggest hope for this podcast is that we basically revive a version of Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then like <laughs> film dramatized <laughs> yeah. versions of all of our stories. <laughs> Into Netflix. Yeah. Yes. Super fun. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I think my story as well takes place in rural England, mm. and it leads to insanity. So well, look at that. There's just that's very cool. What, like you See, said, that's I, what it's for. I think that's it. You what rural England, England, <laughs> yeah. England, England, sturdy England. Because it is well, it's like nothing less than an act of insanity to distance yourself from the social network because you're no longer around to vouch for your reputation. Mm-hmm. Or, like, defend your honor, right? So you're completely abandoning your name to scandal. Yeah. Nothing less than an act of insanity. Would drive that sounds you. pretty harsh, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted a little I'm fresh air in the countryside. The countryside. Insanity. <laughs> and it's like, well, of course, he said he was moving to the countryside for his health, but... It's, it's true. Like, oh. If you got rivals, they're going to scooch on in there. Yeah, and then if your estate burns down for an unexplained reason, (laughs) suddenly it's like insanity. Like, all the boxes are checked, right? right? It's like every suspicion is justified after that point. Exactly, yes. (laughs) Whose estate burned down? 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's like an oddly specific I, I'm still, My mind is still in Jane Eyre right oh, now. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. Of course. <laughs> of course. Hey, spoiler for those who haven't read Jane Eyre. <laughs> I'm not saying that your estate... Jane Eyre yeah. gets a little hot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying that like your estate... It's inevitable that your estate will burn down if it's outside of life. I'm just saying that the chances are higher. Okay? It's insanity not to have it burn down. <laughs> There was the needle yeah, in the back of the head. Oh yeah, that was gross. I I could not stifle my reaction. Yeah, that was like it's that Spinal Tap kind of totally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I just have to like feel. shrink away. Yeah, it's like, Please help. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. It's good. one of my biggest fears. A that, needle? I, that I'm not. <laughs> <You're so> <laughs> Sometimes when I'm laying so. in my bed at night, I just think. Well, you know, everyone has those like, oh, that would be like such an awful way to die or whatever. I used to think drowning in a vat of coleslaw was the absolute <laughs> rock bottom. Because that right? would hurt so bad and it'd be yeah. so gross. Coleslaw is delicious, but uh -huh. like in a big vat of it and you got like shredded carrots going into your lungs and oh, stuff. Oh, that'd be awful. Awful. Like, and imagine if this happened to you, like, at a barbecue, like, where, where coleslaw is. Right. You just, like, fall into the coleslaw where, and where nobody even notices. This and they is can't my hear... coleslaw pool. <laughs> yeah. And they can't hear your screams or the sound of their band, their conversation. Like, either that or blue cheese dressing would also be awful Very to drown chunky. in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But Ugh. those aside, yeah, like a long needle just... It sounds off. There's See, like a your, your what, fears. what film is that where they have the the Matrix? Oh yeah, the Matrix. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah don't like, like that. Yeah, your fear is legitimate. Like my recurring fear is that I'll get like like it, it's <laughs> the cool. coleslaw one, not the needle. Like, oh, it's cool. It's oh, like it's certainly something you would want to be afraid of. <laughs> yeah. Like my recurring fear is that one day I'm going to get lost in the woods and my contacts are going to fall out. And oh, that's screwed. true. That is a real fear. <laughs> I'd say that's an extremely legitimate yes. fear. Yeah. Or like, wow. It doesn't have to be lost in the woods. It's just like any natural or like, disaster. Yeah. Or, or like the plane goes down. I survive. I make it to the island. <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. Wilson is completely unhelpful in yeah. finding it's those like, There could be a ship like 100 yards out and I'm like, I hope someone comes. Yeah, like, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> so there would we'll be no Wilson. There would just be Blob. Yeah. yeah. It would be like yeah. white Any blur. Any face you drew on it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, oh, this is a volleyball. <laughs> I can't convince myself it's anything but a volleyball. Is that you, Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's, yeah, that's, that's yeah. a scary thing. So, yeah, let's see. What we're going to do, uh, if you want, you can actually like, go and vote on the story at the end of the month. So listen to all three stories. You go to our site, Death by Footnote, and uh, we'll drop the link below. And then you join the newsletter, and then we'll mail out basically a round of voting. And you do the poll there. And we're basically ranking it on like, whoa, story was cool. And then we're doing something called historical efficacy, where it's not just, oh, yeah, that was accurate. But it's like, it's the way in which the history was used well right. for the story. Right. And then we'll kind of see what people say, okay. and okay. we'll and we'll break it down, and yeah. we'll make the loser do something stupid or something. I don't know. We're still working it out. They have to yeah. wear it involves a battered. That's right. They have to wear the stirred shirt or the You're stirred the hat of the week. It's just got like a vat of coleslaw. That's a stirred. We condemn your story to the coleslaw. Oh no! Yeah. So we'll do something. Like that. Yeah. Okay. So. Story number two next week, then. Story number two next week. Okay, great. Story number two next week, which is going to be... Me. Right? Yep. What's, yeah. the, what's the title yeah, of Yeah, what's story? the title? The title of my story is S-O.
B. S. <laughs> oh, right. S O S. Nice. Yeah. Wow. S O S. Ooh, okay, that's good. I'm excited about that. Do you have any bets on what that might be about? I'm thinking um, Industrial Revolution. Dang. Uh, it's got to be. Titanic is not during the Industrial Revolution. No, it? it's got to be like, yeah, telegraph or radio or something. That's my thought. That's a good, that, yeah. Because when else do you use SOS? Da, 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 da. I, I don't think, yeah. That's okay, well, we'll see. Shit, we'll those see. Are, those are good ideas. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's like <laughs> salvation. Yeah, you really should not have done uh, the, the thrasher, yeah. the, the, the wheat thrasher and called it SOS. But, okay, okay, here's my bet though. It's going to be like, he's going to subvert our expectations. He's going to say SOS stands for something completely different. Oh, It'll okay. be like salvation, organ, like, oh, supplement. Bet. Yes. And it'll be about like uh, quack medicine and the Industrial Revolution. And it'll be like the snake oil salesman like, I like showing it. up and being like, here's your salvation organ supplement. I hope so. <laughs> salvation organ supplement. The S is for stirred. That's <laughs> stirred organ stirred supplement. On, his story is just stirred on stirred. Stirred on stirred. Is your stirring, stirred on is your stirring feel stirred? Feeling stirred? Uh, and with that, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Death by footnote. See you next time. I'm dancing to our musical outro. <laughs> yeah. We have one? We can we, afford one of those? We gotta get one. Wow. <laughs>